We're back! We're back! This is a distraction! I'm true! That's Roth! Hi, Roth! Hey, man. How's it going? That's fine. I'm doing good. Actually, you know what? I'm doing great because, uh, it's like, it's spring here, and, like, it went from zero to spring instantly. There are, like, magnolia trees blooming all over the place, and, like, this area, like, when it does spring, like, I'm usually, like, a fall guy, but I live in a place where fall is roughly, like, four days long now. Yeah, and shrinking. Yeah, spring here less, like, spring here actually comes in March. Like, it's, like, March isn't bullshit here, so it's very nice. It's a nice, long, gorgeous spring, so I am happy that's good. I'm glad that you're enjoying your cherry blossoms and experiencing the cherry blossom mindset. I think and, uh, listeners will be able to tell over the next few months, Drew is going to be uh, way happier than usual. And speaking of, of happy people, our guest, <laughs> it's crafty veteran right-hander, Ray Ratto. Hi, Ray. How are you? There he is. I'm having the I'm having the time of somebody's life. I just don't know who's. Oh, <laughs> look at that. Ray, uh, you're you're on a special time because even though I told Roth that I was doing quite well, I actually have a, a personal story that is rather frightening, especially to parents such as you and me, Ratto. Uh, my own parents were defrauded uh, two weeks ago. Um, this is part of uh, and I swear to God, this is this is true. This is not just a local news scare tactic, but uh, there is now an epidemic of people of us of an advanced age being defrauded uh, out of money by people using deep fake phone calls. So my uh, parents, they got a phone call from someone who was purporting to be my nephew and sounded just like him. He said he had gotten into a car accident, said he had killed uh, a pregnant woman in oh the car God. accident, was at jail and needed bail. This sound, sounded exactly like him and even called my mom by her like grandma name, like Nana, her grandma name isn't Nana, but like knew it. And so my parents, like there is psychology behind this where my parents freaked out. They did not call my sister. Um, they just went, instead, they went to the bank, withdrew cash, like it was a fucking Michael Mann movie, brought back to their house and a man posing as a bail bondsman came to the door, took the cash and fucked off. And that is what happened to my parents two weeks ago. Uh, and it is, it is not uncommon. I told, I told the rest of the staff that this had happened and like four different defector staffers were like, oh yeah, they tried to do that to my grandparents. Oh fuck. And like, it is like, it's like a thing that happens. So if someone is calling who you love Ray or Roth and they sound like they're in trouble, it may not be them at all. This is way more brazen and analog than I think I understood it to be. And you mentioned something about this. I didn't realize that somebody actually showed his face to your parents and took cash in an envelope from them. Yeah. Yeah, like Jeez. that like that is the scam and it's like it's repeated itself and like the AARP has sent out an alert to its members about this because it's nationwide. Like it's a real it's a serious it's a serious epidemic of fraud and my dad was like, "Well, Drew, I mean, you you can write about it if you want. And I was like, I'm not going to write about it because I don't want everyone to know that my parents were defrauded. Otherwise, I'll just come, go and defraud my parents again. So I'm going to talk about it between us chickens on the podcast. Yeah. And if you're listening at home, please don't defraud my parents or any other parents by deep faking a goddamn voice on the telephone because that's not cool. Yeah, I just I think that goes out to, to all of our listeners and even to people that don't listen to the podcast. Just don't defraud Drew's parents. My, my They've brother, had a really rough couple of weeks. They were recently defrauded uh, if right. they're just joining the podcast. 
I mean, it sucks because my, my mom had been robbed once in a hotel room. Someone broke into the hotel room while she was asleep, took her shit. And my brother, when he was living in Boston, he lived in a um, he lived in one of those apartments that is on the first floor, but like you have to walk down some stairs. And someone broke through a window and broke into his apartment. This was like 20 years ago. And like it sucks to be robbed because you feel you feel violated. You feel, uh, you know, you're like, you just feel completely and utterly unnerved that someone was in the space that you nor almost always take as a given is going to be protected for yourself. So that is not cool. And my parents are doing better now, but I do love them so much. And I, and I hope that it does not happen to anyone else's parents. Ray, have you ever been uh, defrauded or uh, given money to a Nigerian prince of any sort? Uh, no. One, I don't have any loved ones. Okay. Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, but somebody a, a couple of weeks ago uh, posed as somebody uh, from Amazon saying that somebody was trying to buy an iPhone and was trying to use, uh, and, and they wanted me to okay this. And to okay it, I had to g download an app. And at that point, I just said, well, no, I don't. <laughs> there was anybody who wants a phone. And then I told the guy to F off and hung up. But they they called like four or five times. They were persistent. Yeah, That's me. To, oh, sorry. Go ahead. How to write about this? But something about the fact that we are that everybody is just bombarded with scams all day long, every single day. Like every day, I get multiple spam phone calls. I get a text telling me that my Citibank account has been frozen. I don't have a Citibank account. This is just like normal background noise shit. And yes. Even if you don't fall for it, there's something really disorienting, I think, about just knowing that various different sort of malign forces are trying the locks every every day. It's a very strange way to live, like, and yeah. a very, like, kind of um, something that I don't remember being this way necessarily uh, even five years ago. Yeah, the PayPal account that I've never had has been frozen, like, about eight times. Yeah. Also, uh, Biden just issued a warning to every American to back up their shit because he suspects or probably knows that Putin is going to try to, a massive cyber attack on America. So not only do I have to deal with the fuckers that robbed my parents, I have to deal with fucking Vladimir Putin coming in to like steal my fucking Super Bowl ring like through my email somehow. So everyone has to lock down their shit. But now that if we've Vladimir done Putin PS, comes maybe, from my so board maybe. Yeah, maybe maybe Kirk Cousins isn't such a burden after all. I don't. I actually don't know who that is. I don't know who you're talking about. He's been Sorry. liberated by uh, the Transnistrian hacker collective, and he's now no longer the quarterback for the Vikings. Sorry about we, that. We uh, we actually we, we do need to talk about sports because we've we've had a long enough public service announcement. And Ray, since you're out west, we should start on the west coast, and we should start with basketball, specifically the Golden State Warriors. Who, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Ray. They went cold for a long stretch. They seem to recover because at one point, I think it was for one game, they finally had Draymond, Steph, and Clay on the court at the same time. Lasted one game before Steph got hurt and is currently on the injured list, but says he will be back for the playoffs. Is time running out for that team to get their shit together to make a playoff run? Should I not worry about it? Or has this regular season been an ominous portent for what comes for them, Ray? Well, they've had about four different regular seasons this year. Um, they had the start of the season where they didn't have Thompson, but they had Green and and Curry, and they went 18 and two. And 
the only thing that people didn't notice when they were declaring that the Warriors were the best team in the world was that Phoenix, the same stretch, went 19 and three. So they never really got any sort of distance from what has turned out to be the best team in the league. And since then, they've gotten Thompson back, but then they lost Green for 30 games. Then Green came back, and now they've lost Curry for at least two weeks, probably more. And so I think what you're looking at is a team that, other than those first 20 games, is like an eight seed. Mm. And, I, you know, it just – they. I mean, the stat that I that knocks me out is Anthony Slater from the Athletic pointed this out. In the last three seasons, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, and Stephen Curry have been on the floor for eleven minutes together. Ooh, and that's about as clear a sign that the dynasty is over as there is. I mean, you when you can't agree that the band members can show up for the same rehearsal at the same time, that album ain't going to be very good. That fucking blows because I think when Clay came back, I thought the wider sentiment was that okay, the Warriors are back, and you know I I think I personally was getting excited about them, uh, you know, to be who essentially who they were a few years ago, and then I was I was convinced by uh, Chris Thompson and Albert Bernico to get excited about the Nets getting Ben Simmons into the fold and becoming, you know, really a more entertaining team than they than they would have been. Uh, when they had a disgruntled James Harden there. And now uh, Ben Simmons has a bad back that could keep him out for a very, very long time, if not forever. And it seems like neither of these teams have actually sort of fulfilled the hope that they would add, uh, you know, to sort of the what the NBA would have to offer come, uh, you know, come playoff time. So I'm wondering if this is if this has been a disappointing NBA season or if it will prove to be, or if I'm not appreciating the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks still being very good, and the Boston Celtics. Yeah, got to say it. They're yeah. incredible right now. No one likes it, but the Celtics are incredible right now. <laughs> it's like it's all the wrong teams are good. I think that's I what it is. Brada. The thing I'll say for the well, the Warriors that I kind of talked myself into, and I look forward to Ray talking me out of this in a moment, was early in the year when they were that good without the brand name stars. I had this idea that you know that. Jordan Poole especially, but that like, you know, Poole or like a Moses Moody or one of these guys that were sort of like a, a long-term developmental project, like these like late first round picks that they had, that those guys would, if they became like proper contributors in the moment of opportunity that they had, that the team would wind up getting deeper in the way that like really good teams that are already paying stars have to get better. Because, like, you need to hit on those... I mean, you need, like, a to hit on a dream on, like, a developmental project that really, really works out. Because you can't just stack stars and then, like, old old guys and, like, sort of the, the Nets model where, like, Blake Griffin is your fourth most important player or whatever. And it seemed like it was working, but, like, it also... That can only work so much. Like, the difference between Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson is that, like, Clay Thompson is going to the Hall of Fame. So, like, even Jordan Poole at his best is not going to in the long term, give you the stuff that Clay Thompson can? No, it, well, what it's done is it's re-revealed the fact that Warrior fans are psychotics because they still think that it's 2017 and that they should win every game. And they haven't had anything fully together all year. They, you know, everybody said, well, you got to get bigger. You got to get bigger. Well, they drafted James Weissman for that. 
But now it turns out he apparently has the same kind of knee that Yao Ming had feet. He can't stay, he can't get on the floor. So they're perpetually too small. Um, Green was missing 30 games. Then he came back and he was fine. Then he got thrown out of the game against San Antonio for no good reason at all. And this was after Curry got hurt. So that game was flushed down the toilet. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, who was a first-team all-star in the first half, now shoots free throws like Chris Dudley. Um, And in a lot of ways, they are the promise that never happens. They are the reminder that hope is death. Ah, that's the spirit. That's that's the rado I want to hear. Well, I mean, you know, because everybody said, man, once once the whole gang gets back together, it'll be just like it was five years ago, and they won't be old, and they won't be hurt, and they won't be, you know, trying to knee Stephen Adams in the nuts. Well, that that, that's just it, Ray. I I I feel guilty that I didn't appreciate the Warriors during their run enough. Mostly because Draymond wouldn't stop kicking people in the nuts, so I was like, oh, that guy sucks. I hate that team. And they now that Clay was coming back, I was like, okay, here'll be my chance to appreciate them during the little renaissance. Like, like, like I appreciated Michael Jordan during his second three peat, and not I didn't do I didn't appreciate him as much during the first three peat. And that that opportunity ap- appears uh, to be in, in grave grave danger, Rado. And I I don't know. What to I, do I about think that. that's probably the best way to put it is that it's in danger. Yeah. Speaking of um, teams in danger, the Lakers. Can we talk about the Lakers for just? Oh, we absolutely. won't. We won't do it for very long because they're really fucking bad. They'll still what? make the play in. But they have LeBron and Russell Westbrook. I haven't been following the league very closely this year. I'm sorry. So they're not. They're not playing well. Are, oh, by the way, speaking of long held grudges, I still love Russell Westbrook because. Bill Simmons wouldn't stop complaining about him winning the MVP when he averaged the triple double. And I'm like, has anybody well, ever had more cheap triple doubles? Yeah, 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 yeah. And now Larry Bird triple double Simmons. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Just, just shit. like, are we sure Russell Westbrook's good? Like, there yeah, it just is. Total bullshit. <laughs> so anyway, but anyway, he's, he's, he's bad. He's a millstone. He's a, a complete liability. And they gave away all of their depth in order to get him on the team. So they're not going to advance any farther than the playoff rate. Since you're out west, do you believe that this franchise is salvageable long term, or are they only going to get a bubble title out of LeBron and nothing else? Like, what what can they do after this? They can die like the dogs they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's a good answer. Nobody notices this or remembers this, but in the last nine years, they've had two winning records. They've been lousy for a while. And the first time they were lousy, it's because they put off a rebuild to make sure that Kobe got one last huge contract. And now the rebuild that they needed to make, they for they they just threw that away so that they could they could assemble the world's oldest roster. A, a team a team abandoning a rebuild to run it back with a shitty ro- I don't know any other teams like that. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't, I don't can't really, think of uh, there's, there's a blonde man over your left shoulder who says otherwise. <laughs> say, we've done such a great job talking about the Vikings without talking about the Vikings so far. I think we can just we can just bag that. We've now Yeah, no, I, I that that's it. I, I made fun of Simmons, but now I have to shove about the Vikings. So anyway, the thing or, with, can I say one no, thing about Westbrook that has bummed me out? Which yes. is that as somebody who really loved watching him play at his peak and also always loved what an unbelievably effective job he did infuriating my least favorite basketball commentators. Uh, it stinks to see him uh, 
just continuing to mash the button that used to make the treats come out and no treats are coming out anymore. Like, I feel like the stuff that he could conceivably still do, because the athleticism is very obviously still there. Like, he still finishes like Russell Westbrook. He still gets in the lane like Russell Westbrook. Like, he can still do a, a lot of the stuff he used to do. He just can't shoot at all. But that capacity could be used in other ways if he wanted to do it. Like, if he wanted to recommit or I guess it would be commit for the first time in his career, <laughs> to like being a defensive contributor, I still think he could do it. It's just like he doesn't have that. And I guess this is just sort of like inherent in his Russell Westbrookness. He can't downshift. Like he can't do the thing that like Vince Carter did where you like realize what you've lost and then get eight more years as like sort of a role player and a contributor who does the things that you still do well. Like he won't do it. And it's frustrating, and as somebody who doesn't, not just doesn't care about the Lakers, but, like, actively does not care for them for the most part, it still sucks to watch them. Like, it's brutal. It has uh, it has some Denver-Iverson energy to it. Yes. Yeah, it is absolutely, like, Iverson's the example, to me, of the guy that just could not accept being anything less than what he was at his peak. And, like, well, that's fine, just, too. Some people are like It's their identity. It's very important right. to them, you know, and I, I get it on a, on a personal level. But, you know, obviously, if you're a Lakers fan, you're like, shit, this isn't, this isn't very good, Ratto. Yeah. But in fairness, when the Lakers got him, he had already done this for two other teams. Right. Yes. Like, if you can't look at what he did with the Wizards and expect him to do different, you're right. Yeah. They have a model that's much closer than the Denver Iverson, and it's Dwight Howard. Oh, the game oh, changed God. on Dwight Howard, and he refused to believe it. He thought he could bring the league to its knees doing a thing that essentially has been phased out of the game. And his pivot was to become a goon. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, suits him to a certain extent. Yeah. It fits his actual personality as opposed to his. But also, I mean, Carmelo Anthony hasn't changed. He's another Laker. You know, he's still the same guy he's always been. And occasionally he will have the night when he shoots nine for 13. But for I the most part, Mello, go ahead. I don't think Mello, that's, I think you're mostly right. I think that he has kind of done that downshift better than I would have expected him to. There was that year where he got cut twice and I was like, this is it. Like he just can't stop. Like he needs to shoot 20 times a game or else he's going to like go insane. And it seems like he has become something like that, like Vince Carter type role player where he like, you know, he's got two things that he does. You're right, though, that he does, like, he still wants to shoot too much. Like, it's different. He's not going to really yeah, and, step back. And, and he wants to shoot too much because he doesn't have a lot else. Yeah. I mean, you know, old is oozing out of his shoes yeah. every game. And I think, you know, whoever assembled this roster, whether it's Rob Palenka or LeBron James or, you know, Jeannie Buss's tennis partner, whoever it was, it's one of the worst assembled operations ever because it's an all-star team from nine years ago. Yeah. It's a fucking Dan and, Snyder and so roster. Nothing ever ages and nothing ever slows down at a time when the game is being played faster than it's ever been played. You know, it just, you know, teams that, you know, have a pace under a hundred, you know, I mean, they're just, they're dinosaurs. Yeah. They're and the Lakers are trying to recreate that as though nothing has happened since 2012. 
Can I get more specific, Ray, and, and ask you about uh, LeBron himself, who's been on a hot streak lately, like almost like he's so pissed off about the Lakers being shitty. He's like, fuck it, I will do the thing and score 50 points a game that everyone's asked me to do for years. I'm finally going to do it because it's the only thing I can do. But um, is it possible we are watching his end right now? Is he on the verge of being finished? He's not on the verge of being finished, but he may be finished playing amateur general manager because <laughs> yeah. the fact is he hates this team and this hate and everybody on this team hates everybody else on this team, not as people, but as players. I mean, it's got to suck to lose the way they're losing. Like they get blown out every night. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, you know, the other night when they, when they beat Washington, you know, it looked like they had to put up a, extraordinary effort to beat the wizards yeah. and to beat the guys that were on their bench last year. Yeah. LeBron literally sat everybody else on, on tied them to chairs and said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to refute everything I have ever advocated about basketball because you guys are such a drag. I have to score 40. I don't have a choice. You've ruined the, you've ruined fun for me. And that's where they're at. What's nice is that, though is that LeBron can have can feel that way, and then he can blame the the general manager and title like Rob Palenka, and he can be like, "Oh, wh- why'd you put put this team together?" Well, of course he was the one who put it together. But. Yeah, yeah. I really hope we're not seeing the end of LeBron. Well, I mean, we might be seeing the end of him as like the you know peak LeBron phase. I feel like he would be an incredible old guy player, though. I know he's talked about like wanting to play with his son and stuff like that, but. The idea of him at at 45 with, like, knee braces on both knees, even though he's not had surgery just because he's, like, old enough that he needs to do that now. Like, maybe he's wearing goggles for some reason. Like, I want to see him play, like, a terminal stage Moses Malone for a few years where he's just, like, kneeing guys and, like, flat tiring people and doing veteran shit and never jumps. I think he'd be great at it. I actually like that. You know, know he's going to end up being Bill Russell in 1969 when his fingers are taped together and he's got thigh pads on both legs because he gets charlie horses all the time yeah he should be going out there looking like eric dickerson that's basically what i demand from him yeah you know it just he's the guy who who's playing the fife in the in the revolutionary war painting uh (laughs) let's take a break and come back and talk more sports with ray rado we'll be right back we are back and you know what else is back roth Baseball. Oh, I like baseball. The crack of the bat, the sound of a glove hitting a catcher's mitt, Mm. the The oddly foamy mouthfeel of a hot dog served to you at a stadium. Yeah, a a pitcher sitting in the dugout, staring daggers at babies for interrupting him while he's trying to concentrate. (laughs) All the magic is back, and so is... The conjecture of whether your right fielder is vaccinated or not. It's all back, folks. We're here. So, uh, free agency is also back, and uh, it's been a bit of... I, it's been a bit of boom and bust. So there've been there've been some big deals, but there have also been these weird. Uh, I I need you to explain this, Roth. Like last night uh, before this podcast, Juan Soto signed a one year deal uh, with the Nationals for seventeen point one million. When he's expected to become baseball's first half billion dollar man, I thought maybe that would happen already. And Aaron Judge also signed a one year deal. There are a lot of these odd one year deals. What? Well, there that's ARB stuff. All right. So what is the ARB stuff? Because I don't understand it. It's teams avoiding arbitration with their 
arbitration eligible players. So like the, you know, the progression of the, you get basically teams get three years of service from guys on a, a minimum salary scale. And then those players are eligible for arbitration for another three years. And those are basically like, they make a guess at what they think they should be paid, you know, as a raise relative to the previous year, the team makes theirs. And then they usually hash it out. Um, some teams like the, the Mets are about to go to actual arbitration with Chris Bassett, who's the starter they just got from the A's. That's stupid. Like you shouldn't have to do that. It's like notoriously an unpleasant process because the team basically makes a case against <laughs> the player being worth paying. Right. So Juan Soto getting 17 million is basically like the team probably acknowledging that they might have had to pay him 20 if they went to trial and like finding a figure that they could agree with. This is why you see guys signing these like sort of weirdly long but also like seemingly under market deals uh, as, as young players is that teams would love to buy out the arbitration years so they don't have to go through this process and they don't have to guess at it. And, but for that, like, and they get that sort of cost certainty where like if you sign Fernando Tatis to a deal and you don't have to go to arbitration with him after he's the best player in the National League, then at least you know what you're paying him. Uh, so the thing with Soto still having to do ARB stuff to me, I'm surprised that the Nats haven't tried harder to lock him down earlier, not just because of the fact that it's like that's just good hygiene when you have Juan Soto on your team. Like yeah. you'd think that they would want to avoid the possibility of having to figure out how much he's going to be worth next year. Because like if he has another Juan Soto season, then that's a, you know, what, a $25 million arbitration figure or some sort of record thing and then you're stuck paying that. Like wouldn't you rather know that you could get him for 20? Well, you can't keep kicking the can down the road and keep doing this over and over, right? Like eventually, you can. Well, eventually the players become free agents. Right. Well, would, would Soto become a free agent starting at the end of the season? I don't think so. I think he's got he. This was his second RBR Ray. Do you know? Yeah, he's got time left. Okay. After this, it's, it's yeah, really, I mean, it's, it sounds like it sounds like people. It sounds like a. Like prison time. Like, oh yeah, you yeah. you got time to serve with your shit ass team before you actually get to live your life and get out and yeah. God. I mean, Juan Soto's yeah, Juan Soto's gonna walk three hundred times this year. Yeah. And when Broth said going to trial, meaning arbitration, I, that that also struck me. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, this is this is I don't know if this is so much teams as much as it is players who looked at the deals that Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albi signed in Atlanta you know, which were way below market and bought out their arbitration years. And I think they're going, you know what? Those guys got screwed on those deals. I mean, the guys that come out well from deals like that are players who have underwhelming careers. And there were, this was like a, a thing, the Astros were, you know, as with every bit of like sketchy, like borderline malpractice, they were innovators in this space. They also got dinged by it. They had Jonathan Singleton, who was like a big prospect for them a few years ago, they basically were doing this thing that they've done with other players since, where they refused to call him up unless he signed a long-term deal that would buy out the Arbiers, you know, and give them that sort of cost certainty. He signed it, and then he got, like, five marijuana suspensions and hit, like, six major league homers and is pretty much done as a baseball player. So you can't say that he didn't, like, come out of that one well. But, like, there's also, like, you'd rather, I think, bet on yourself especially if you're like Ozzy Albies and you're basically the whatever second or third best second baseman in baseball, like 
why would you just accept that you're going to make $9 million a year when you could be making twice that? I want to ask you about this, Ray, because you wrote about it uh, on Tuesday or on Wednesday morning. Uh, Jock Peterson of the Giants uh, posted uh, on t- like really, really late Tuesday night. He posted the salary disparities between the top three teams uh, in the majors and the bottom three, and all of them were over $200 million apart. And there are five teams right now that haven't signed a single free agent since the CBA was signed. So I wanted to ask you, Ray, and I, I, I think you've already written your opinion on it, but did this new contract or new collective bargaining agreement did do much of anything to prevent these cheapskate owners from being on their horse yet? Uh, well, no, because until there's a salary floor, they could they could literally take the field on opening day with 28 you know minimum salary guys and not and not be held to account for it i mean the pirates i think have a pay opening day payroll of 30 million oh my god and which is about as low as you can actually get given where the new minimum salaries are that like right. the minimum salary is 775,000 a year you have 28 guys on your roster <laughs> like it's, it's the lowest salary that they've had or lowest team south, uh, payroll they've had since 2000, I think. And that's even before you factor in the fact that $30 million in today's money is $18 million in 2000 money. Yeah. So they're literally paying nobody anything. And there's, and nothing, there's nothing over the course of this deal that corrects this, that, right? Because it goes for the next five years, the deal. Correct. There's no salary floor, which, and if, they, if the players had insisted on one, We'd still, they'd still be in a lockout because yeah. there are just enough owners who don't want to spend any money um, to do anything. I mean, to me, I've always looked at where the Marlins payroll is and said anybody below that number is clearly tanking. And there's no explanation they can give that will change that. This year, there are four teams like that. The Marlins are 26th. I think their payroll is around 67 and the team right below them is Oakland at 40. And, and falling fast, saying, too. We like, are completely fine with being 63 and 99. We are totally good with that. I think that's my. I think that's the problem is that baseball, I feel like baseball is unique among the four big men's North American sports in that the other three sports, when a team tanks, I think of it as a, a long-term plan for improvement. That is not the case in baseball, and I think baseball is unique in that regard, Rado. Um, probably. I mean, I'd have to look at some of the hockey teams that have always oh, yeah, payrolled it, but you know, <laughs> Those their numbers senators. are artificially low because they don't have a whole. They don't have a great media deal so that they can get other people to pay their stuff for them. But the baseball, you know, has been desperately trying to get a salary cap for decades. And the union has been able to hold them off on that, but they use other mechanisms. Right, you know, like, they've held them off in name, at least. Yeah, but the the thing that they will go to death to defend is no salary floor, because there are enough guys who own teams that aren't billionaires, or they're they're billionaires who got a team that they don't really want but can't sell for the right amount. They, 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 there are going to be more thirty million dollar teams, is what I'm saying. There's three this year that don't even pay forty, and you know when you're basically looking at another team in your division, like Cleveland, 
and you look at the White Sox and go, they're spending $130 million more than I am. You're saying you don't even want to be competitive in your own division, no matter how bad the division is. And their response to people who point this out is to refer them to the middle finger on their right hand. Just go, well, then don't come. I'm making money whether you show up or not. That's the part of it. Yeah, that's the TV deals make this possible. Yeah, the one thing the owners have done is make it so that they can, you know, have a profit every year, whether anybody shows up or not. And that's, you know, that indemnifies them from having any kind of customer base that they ever have to care about. And winning just becomes a an ego thing rather than a a path to more money. I have to say, Roth, this kind of sounds like a sweet deal. Like if I were like my dream has always been I always said if I were a billionaire, I would do nothing. Well, it sounds like if I owned the Pittsburgh Pirates, I could I could actually enact that dream and have it yeah, come to reality. What if you had to do nothing but you also had like really good parking and a luxury suite of your own at a game? Uh, every you know, basically every night during the summer, you can watch the baseball team that you own lose to the Reds by three runs. <laughs> Incredible! What it an kicks honor. ass. There's this echelon of American living where you eventually, like, you break through to a, a plane where you don't have to do anything, but you still just keep banking a shitload of money anyway, even though you didn't lift a fucking finger. Yeah, and the thing I, that seems okay. kind of cool. To me. Yeah, the thing I'll <laughs> add to Ray's point, which I think is completely correct is that when teams tanked, you know, when the Astros tanked, everybody sort of knew what they were doing, and it was clear that there was a timetable for when they would begin to try to compete, that they would bank all of these young players, you know, trade for prospects, draft very high in the draft, and hope that that would eventually work out and that there would be this kind of, like, tide of talent that would all arrive in the majors, you know, in a two-year, three-year span. A process to trust, right? Right. The Orioles kind of have that, but so that and those prospects are more or less coming along the way that people would expect them to come along. The difference is that they're not doing any of the other stuff that the Astros did. Like like by this point in the Astros rebuild, by you know, the Orioles are they've now lost like hundred and ten games three straight years, or they've been on that in the last three of you know, the that we've had full seasons, they've done that. They were somehow weirdly slightly better during the pandemic season, which is another reason to flush it down the toilet, that they're still not adding players on major league contracts, really. Like, they're not trying to do... By this point, the Astros had at least signed Scott Feldman. They had, like, begun to bring in guys that were identifiable major league players that would either be able to mentor the young guys that were coming up or just fill in the spaces around them. You can't... It's different than in basketball where you can, you know do what the Thunder are doing, you know, and it's like one more year of picking third in the draft. And then they might have something. They're going to have like a young core because you only need to have five guys on the floor at one time. You need for a baseball roster for 28 guys, you can't draft all of that. And you can't, you know, at this point, the Orioles don't have any veterans left to trade. So it's the sort of thing where even if you hit on your first and second and third round picks three years in a row, that's a third of your roster. Like you're not there yet. And if you don't do anything else, then you're just you can tank effectively forever and still point to the talent developing and be like, "Don't worry about it; it's on the way," which is extremely cynical and grim to me. I actually, actually, not sure I agree with you, Roth. I think the Thunder, um, alone among NBA teams, might be under the sort of 
might be exploiting the rebuild uh, scam for all it's worth. And they actually aren't re- like, they're like, oh, we have a numbers guy and Sam Presti running things and we're going to be good. But they've been shit for like a fucking been decade. Super shitty. And they have stuff that uh, that Pokushevsky guy, who is a, uh, a cult hero and the defector slack because he, like, it's just basically like, um, you know, Slender Man exists in various different cultures lore. He's the Polish version of it. That guy's out there shooting three for 20 and like just no one even gets mad at him. Like, that shouldn't still be happening, probably. Like, that is a level of tanking that approaches the avant-garde. Well, look, we're not being upworthy enough, so we should really talk about some of your topics, like Deshaun Watson getting traded and uh, Tyree Kill just being no. fresh on the block. <laughs> no, let's remember a guy. Let's remember a guy, Rothen Ratto, your guy of the week. Ray Ratto, your guy of the week is Dean Palmer. You remember that guy, Ray Ratto? I barely remember him. Oh, that's He's- good enough. That's good. He, he, yeah, he's he's very he's a diffused face, you know. He's almost like you know the the, the slack uh, uh, icons where it's just a round head and shoulders. Yep, <laughs> I remember him vaguely. That is not a. I think from what I remember of him, that is not an inaccurate description of his physical presentation. That he was a, just a kind of a blocky. Maybe he was a little more rectangular and less ovoid, but yeah, not uh, completely off. He was one of my favorite types of players. He was like a. Guy that would hit 35 homers and strike out 195 times and like somehow make an all-star team because that's the way baseball was in the 90s. Also a really good name. I kind of liked like weird big homery third baseman like that. There's another one and I cannot remember him and I keep thinking of the last name Rollins, but that's Jimmy Rollins. That's a completely different player, but I cannot. Or it might be another Dean, but maybe I'm still thinking of Dean Palmer and I just don't know. There was a Dave Hollins. Is that who Ooh, you're it was about? Dave Hollins? It was Dave yeah. Hollins. Yeah, we love that- it. Now I remember that guy. The source, Drew. Yeah, Dave Hollins was the uh, the thinking man's Dave Nielsen. Oh, thank you so much for that. That would have tortured me forever. Yeah, no, Dean, Dean Palmer it was the perfect, amorphous, featureless human being because he not only didn't stand out as anything except trying to be a modified Rob Deere, it's that he had the kind of name, like one syllable first name, two syllables last name, that you can just spit through right away, and it never makes an impression on your brain. Yeah, but it's a perfect baseball player name that way. Like in the same way, like it's a cool everybody, name. It's a cool name. We love the productive outs, you know, gag where there's like some guy named Zero Manchego that they're pretending is a real minor leaguer, and like that's it makes me laugh every time. It has for like six or eight years, but the real classic baseball names to me are like it's Ray identified the syllables, like that's the meter, and then you can just kind of fill it in however you want. Uh. Let's now, talk about the fun. Oh, go ahead, Ryan. I was just going to say your standard player now is Williams Astadio. Yeah. It takes, you have to work to get those out of your face. Which is, I mean, whatever. We should, everybody should be more like Williams Astadio at this point. I feel of like the that. twins? Yeah, formerly Ooh. of the twins. Oh, I think oh, he's oh, looking for twin. work now. Uh, but, well, I so think if you, if you need a guy to like. As much of a market for 290 pound catchers as there used to be. And that's honestly to. Uh, to uh, it's our great shame as a nation. President Brandon, get on it. Let's uh, let's open up the fun bag with another with a, with another with more baseball talk. Uh, Ray, this is from Alex. He writes in, "What is the best time to attend a baseball game in person? Weekday day, weekday night, weekend day, or weekend night?" Ray, what is your favorite time to attend a baseball game? Weekend weekday day. I thought I. I had a feeling that would be your answer. And I would assume that's Roth's answer as well. It has, it has three advantages. One, 
if you're going to a game on a weekday day, you're it's probably because you're a walk up. You've just decided that's what I want to do to spend my afternoon. So it's a choice, not sort of an obligation. Two, there will be crowds, but they won't be unworkable. So if you need to stand on a line for a beer, it won't be an unpleasant experience. And the third thing is, if you're going to be walk-up guy, you're going to do it on a day when it's 80 with 20% yeah. humidity, and it's just a nice day to be out. It's it's all in your control. I mean, there's you know, you know, there's not there's not likely to be a giveaway. There's not likely to be you know an army of little leaguers up in the upper deck with bats that they pound on the cement. <laughs> it's just a nice day out where nobody bothers you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I feel like weekday sports are, it just feels like you're getting away with something. I think that's like half of what I love about the first days of the NCAA tournament is that like just, you know, on a Thursday at 3 p.m. I could watch three basketball games, all of which are, you know, of some significance. Like that, it feels like uh, like you stole something, if you're me. Like, because that's the time of the day when you're supposed to be upset and instead you're happy. Well, let's flip the question then so that it's more in Rado's comfort zone. What's the worst time to attend a baseball game then? Of all the plausible times, like you can't imagine a world where there's like a baseball game starting at 3 a.m. or some shit. Oh, oh, weekend night. Yeah, because it's sucks. amateur hour. It shouldn't exist to me. Like, I mean, beyond the fact that, yeah, like as I'm assuming by amateur hour, Ray, you mean that there's like a bunch of 19-year-olds uh, like trying not to barf around you? Oh no, there are no 19-year-olds at baseball games anymore. That's oh, fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, like I also feel like weekend night games are unholy and shouldn't exist. Like if you want to have Sunday night baseball, that's cool. I feel like weekday weekend games should be during the day. Uh and Saturday games now it's like it's you know whatever there's whatever the national TV games are are the ones during the day and that's it. And so every other game like Going to a ballpark at seven ten p.m. on a on a Saturday night, like as much as I love baseball, um, and as little as I'm getting out of my Saturday nights in my early middle age, uh, I feel like you got to do better than that. I think you just guys just made a case for the weekend day games being actually the best of the bunch because you get to go out on a weekend, you get to you get to burn the clock when you didn't know what else the fuck you were gonna do with with that day. You get loaded a little bit early if you drink. I don't drink anymore. And then you get home and you still have the whole night to just relax and chill. You don't have to deal with fucking parking at like, you know, a, a fucking parking garage at 8 p.m. And then again at midnight. Like you you just have that the rest of your, you have, you have a weekend night to have a weekend night. So it's kind of nice. I kind of like that. that I mean, little it kind of is except for one thing. If you're going on a weekend day game and you're sitting in the sun, you do that for four and a half hours. And you've had a few beers. When you get home. You're not going back out. You're going to fall asleep on the couch. Yeah, but I like that. 25 or 35 or 85, and your night is ruined. Yeah. The difference uh, is that Drew, as a, a fully nap-based life form, uh, would love that shit. Yeah, yeah. Do you not? Nothing you said was appealing to me, just apart from like the too much sun, but the sun is not any stronger on a weekend than it is during a weekday. Like you would still. No, but the, week, but the weekday, if you fall asleep going home on a Wednesday night, what have you lost? Survivor? right well again again my saturday nights are like my saturday nights are are really really a 45 year old man's saturday night like like the most like daring thing i get to do is watch a movie and convince the kids to watch it with me like that's about as social as it's gonna get 
for me. Hey, Chris writes in. He says, can we get a ranking of the shortened names of pro sports teams? And is it acceptable to shorten one that isn't already established? Everyone says pats and cards. But could I say raves? Obviously, some teams can't or shouldn't be shortened to their first syllables. Two from Chicago come to mind. Ray, what is your favorite shortened pro team name? Do you call the Giants the Jies? Not in not in my memory. Took, no. Took you a second to process. What about the yeah, Oakland Athletics? I, I, I was trying one? to imagine if anybody has ever referred to them as the Jies. Uh, um, I have. I love rooting for the Jies and the Boys. They're my favorite. <laughs> I like Abs. Oh, I hate that one. I fucking hate that one. Terrible. Oh, I mean, look. It saddens me that they're not still in Quebec because that was the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. But as a shortened nickname. It's better than Sens. It's better mm-hmm. than... I agree. You know, it's better than really any NBA shortened, team, shortened name. Um, it's just... It's three letters that don't belong together. Just mashed together out of just... A headline writer needed the space. I'd like to make the case uh, for doing this name shortening thing wrong on purpose and just seeing how people respond. Like, if you have to refer to the Nordiques and you want to go with Nords, that's fine. (laughs) But what if you went with Deeks? Isn't that just as good? (laughs) And I feel like they could do that with, you know, like the Dallas Vricks. Like, there's a lot there. People are going to hate it, and you have to be ready for that. Uh, but sometimes that's what you want. Sometimes that's the response that you're fishing for. I remember on SportsCenter, they used to call the Avalanche the Lanch, and then they transferred over to Avs. And I just thought but, Avalanche but, itself it's, was it's such a... Real. I feel like it's... People, a, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I said people rejected Lanch immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was the I mean, tofer was, of pro sports teams. It was a move for a while <laughs> to shorten the lightning to the Ning. Yeah, oh, I've seen that in print. I've seen it in fucking print. Ugh, apostrophe N I N G. Get that out of here. Stupid. That's what I mean. It just it didn't it didn't last. I mean, and there's a thing that where it's one of the few things fans still have control over is I'm not going to refer to that thing that Scott Van Pelt just referred to just because it sounds stupid. I feel like James Dolan would kick you out of a Knicks game if you called them the Ix. Or the Bakers. Like you'd, have like, you'd have five goons surround you and bodily carry you out of the building. But that's a name that should be that should be in full. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. Like, I it's, li- it's a cool name unofficial. in full. They also, yeah. There, there are ones like the Knicks and also the Tampa Bay Bucks where the shortened name like is essentially the name of the franchise. Like it's, it's so established that like I have never heard a single casual fan in a bar be like, I'm a Buccaneers fan. Like, none of them ever fucking like say Like, you're that. a fucking what fan? Yeah, I'd be like, ex- excuse yeah. you? <laughs> it's my freaking ears. Yeah, but then also, <laughs> if they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm an Eags fan, then I'd be like, excuse you? Like, again, I'd be like, I'd be all thrown. And, and I also feel like teams with, like, one-syllable nicknames are kind of cheating us. Yeah. Like, there's nothing to do with Milwaukee Bucks. It's the Bucks. You don't have any options there. I do think when people call the Pirates, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Bucks, I think that's a little bit creative. I find that yeah, kind of interesting. The Buckos. Yeah, it, yeah. It, more work goes into that than has gone into that roster in years. Yeah, that's right. What'd you say, right? That's creative in that 1960s sporting news kind of way. <laughs> that's right. Which, I, I mean, I'm kind Buckos of nostalgic for that. So the idea of... In double dip. <laughs> you know, what's funny is, you know, while we're, while we're on the subject, We've never called you Rat, Ratto, which is like kind of an upset. Because we fear him. Because it's right there. It's right there. But but 
Also, yes, you would you would drive to my house and you would pull my balls off if I did that. Just so I don't berate that's you. I don't. <laughs> Let me assure you of all the things I would do if I were in your home. Approach your genitalia. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon Nixon, Chantel Holder are our producers. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer, and our theme song. It's by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to Roth and me and Rat, you can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And go subscribe to Defector.com, too, while you're at it. Ray Ratto, you are always a marvelous guest. Frankly, you should probably host the show instead of us. But you don't. So we have to have you on more often because it's so much fun to have you on. Thank you for coming on again. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you for forgetting that you don't want me on. Bye, everybody. (laughs) See ya. See ya.